Together, Rutgers will be number one. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 15, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and Saturday was undeniably a great day for ranked underdogs on the road. In chronological order, first, Oregon as a three-and-a-half-point underdog, won 71-70 in overtime at Michigan. Shouts to Aaron Brooks. Then Memphis as a six-point underdog. Won 51-47 at Tennessee. Shouts to Antonio Anderson. Then Gonzaga as a two-point underdog. Won 84-80 at Arizona. Shouts to Derek Rivio. Put simply, those are three of the best wins nationally-ranked teams have secured this season. So I do want to spend a little time on all three, starting with what happened at the McCall Center because that's where Norlander was on Saturday night. Norlander, you picked Gonzaga to win the game, so I know you weren't surprised by the result, but were you surprised at all that the Zags were up 16 with 89 seconds left and in total control for the final 10 minutes, save the last minute and a half. Yeah, that was unquestionably surprising for a lot of reasons there. And yeah, there was a <laughs> there was a little Arizona Illinois 2005 going on late. There was a little Gonzaga Illinois, uh, UCLA 2007 going on late. Um, but it was just enough for for Gonzaga to hold on. But for them to get that kind of lead, really impressive. Uh, even talked to Mark Few afterward about that. Talked about a number of things, but in particular, he specifically said, "We have had an ability this season." to flip the script in games and recover, uh, cited Oregon as one, but even you know in multiple games. And he said, to me, it's the hardest thing to do in sports. We were down early. The crowd was roaring. They were playing well, uh, facing a double-digit deficit in the first half on the road against a one-loss team, a ranked team, and a team that he thinks will be top 20 quality at the end of the season. He said, to turn that the way we turned it and actually win the way we did despite you know the messiness in the final two and a half minutes there, thinks it's one of the hardest things to do in sports. But they got the win nonetheless. I mean, Gonzaga right now, and I'm not going to ramble here because there's tons to talk about, so I'll just be quick on this and you can take it where you want and we'll ping pong. Gonzaga has won nine straight games against Pac-12 opponents. It's the best program in the West. It's defeated what will probably be the three best teams in the Pac-12 this season in Oregon, in Washington, in Arizona, two of those three on the road, all three away from Gonzaga. You know, we're not breaking news that this is an amazing program or anything like that, but I think in light of this kind of win, and there's a lot of interesting backdrop with it, you know, this is the best program on the West Coast, and it has probably been that way for a while, but this reinforces it when you win at Arizona on the road and you've knocked out Pac-12 opponents to the tune of nine in a row. Norlander, first, uh, I would take issue with Mark Few and argue that one of the hardest things in sports is not what he said, but actually successfully hitting Jacob DeGrom. Well, you are you are correct about that. In fact, that exact thought popped into my mind as I talked to Mark <laughs> Few after I thought if Paris was here, I'm sure he'd bring up uh, he'd bring up Noah Syndergaard right about now. From a bad beats perspective, this was awful. Arizona's team total was 76.5. Don't ever ask how I know that. But Arizona's team total was 76.5. Arizona had 65 points with 89 seconds left. So it's staying way under, it appears. Yeah. Then the Wildcats go on a 15-3 to run to take their point total over 76.5. They scored 15 points in 89 seconds. Totally ridiculous. So, um, anyway, the Zags have now won 10 straight road games, three and on the road this season, like you said, at A&M, at Washington, at Arizona. Their last road loss was a year ago today. Hmm. Trivia time? Can you get it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
last road loss was a year ago today, so it was more than a year ago that they played Tennessee. Uh, they won the game against Tennessee on a neutral, right? Do you have the schedule in front of you? That was in I, Phoenix. Nah, but I, I can call that up, and call I believe that. They true. played Tennessee last year, early December. It was an awesome game. I think Gonzaga won that game against Tennessee. Did they win it? Gonzaga lost to Tennessee, to Tennessee okay. on Sunday, December 9th on a neutral court. So, okay. Um, and then the next game was December oh, 15th. Carolina. Yeah, it was at Carolina. Yeah. They lost 103-90. They have not lost a road game um, since then. And so, like, listen, to, we've been over it. I'm not going to spend another five minutes on it. Ohio State should be number one in the AP poll on Monday. The next two teams – should be Gonzaga and Kansas in some order. Either order is reasonable, but Gonzaga's got to be second or third on everybody's AP ballot. They're 11 and one, three top 50 Kimpom wins. They beat Oregon, which is 11th in Kimpom on a neutral. Beat Arizona, which is 15th at Kimpom on the road. Beat Washington, which is 50th at Kimpom on the road. The lone loss is a neutral court loss um, to Michigan. Um, let me ask you real quick about Killian Tilly. Only yeah. played 18 minutes, foul trouble, limped to the locker room with seven minutes left. Know anything more about that now? Uh, ankle injury, thankfully, the staff was, you know, because he has, the, the nature of Killian Tilly is he's got a tender knee that really by the day almost they evaluate it in terms of how, if it's swelling up, if it's not, if he's good to go. You know, he has missed more practices than he has participated in at this point. Um, so he twisted his ankle. The expectation, you know, again, this is less than an hour after the game ended on Saturday night. Uh, I think Mark Few will expect him to play against North Carolina. Gonzaga has a game against North Carolina at home coming up on Wednesday. We'll obviously preview that uh, on the Wednesday podcast. But there's no telling if he'll be able to practice. Um, and you're kind of leading me into the other thing I want to talk about here. And I'll have more on this, by the way, on Wednesday on CBSSports.com. We'll have I'll have a whole Gonzaga theme uh, story in advance of Gonzaga UNC. But uh, Mark Few did not. Here's what's here's what's incredible. And coaches can get in their own head about this. I understand, but he had a he had a valid point here. In the preseason, uh, Mark Few did not think that this team, at least for the first two months of the season, maybe the first three months of the season, would be top twenty-five quality or anywhere even close to it. When you consider everything Gonzaga lost from last season, the health of Killian Tilly to even start the season was a complete unknown to the point where he wasn't even confident that they would have Tilly, you know, for the first two or three weeks. Here we are, Gonzaga's eleven and one. Few told me this is by, by far the most. Uh, the overachieving team, if you want to call him that. But basically, his level, he's never had a team where going into a season, he had an internal expectation level and had a team so far surpass it the way that this group has. And by the way, it's insane that they're doing this, even in spite of all of the injuries. They're not fully healthy remotely. It's not just... It's not just Killian Tilly. Yeah, he's got he's got the knee issue, and that's a problem. But Ryan Woolridge, who was outstanding and gave Nico Mannion what will surely be the worst college game of his career. When I mean, I'd like to get to Arizona in a few minutes here, he was awesome. But he has been continually, uh, continually beat up. Um, Admon Gilder's still not all the way uh, all the way good. Anton Watson dislocated his shoulder three times during the Arizona game. Joel Ayayi is not 100% either. So. Uh, keep that in mind when we talk about how good Gonzaga is. Gonzaga has been good, but probably only been operating at about 80 to 85% health on the whole, maybe even less than that. And they only have one loss on a neutral to Michigan at this point. The net rankings will debut Monday, and I would expect Gonzaga to be top five in the net, uh, given the strength of their schedule, the quality of their wins, and other things that, that go into account. Gonzaga's top five 
in scoring margin, beating opponents by an average of 19.5 points, fourth nationally in scoring, 85.8 per game, Parrish. And again, still not fully healthy, and efficiency margins do play into the net. They are the number four ranked offense, according to Ken Palm at this point. It is crazy impressive what Mark Few's been able to do. And yeah, he owns the Pac-12 at this point. It's 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 a pretty crazy... He just didn't expect to be any, anywhere close to this. I thought Gonzaga would be good. Maybe not like second best in the country a week from Christmas good. But nonetheless, um, to do what it did at McHale Center on Saturday night, I think eye-opening even despite the record. I talked to him after the, the day after the NBA draft because he came on my radio show after the Grizzlies drafted Brandon Clark. And we were just talking. We were talking about Brandon Clark. When did you know he was this good? Um, you know, what is he going to be able to do that that maybe he didn't do so much in college? Um, you know, so on and so forth. But eventually, you know, one of the points Mark made was, you know, this we knew we were losing Rui after the 2018-19 season. Like you go into the season prepared. We're going to lose Rui Hachimura. Let's prepare to lose Rui Hachimura. So you, you recruit that way. You think that way. You explore the transfer market that way. He said, we didn't know we were losing Brandon Clark till like December. Now, now, once it got to December, it became pretty clear we were losing Brandon Clark. But when you go into a season not expecting to lose somebody early, and then they're so much better than anybody thought, you lose them. That is the type of thing that becomes difficult to prepare for and recover from. We can prepare to lose somebody we know is going to be a top 15 pick. Brandon Clark was not supposed to be that, according to anybody, and then boom, it just happened. And so I'd say all that to, to underline what the point you're making. He had in, um, uh, certainly suggested to me this might be difficult. You know, This might be a little tricky because they're always going to play a tough schedule in the non-league because of the league they play in. And if you're not ready to go from the jump at Gonzaga, you start stacking losses pretty quickly. And I think jokingly, I told him, I assume you'll figure it out. And undeniably, they have figured it out. They're one of the best teams in the country right now. Forget about what they are going to be in February or March. They're one of the best teams in the country right now. No doubt about it. And, you know, when you're a coach and you're caught up in the middle of it, that's fine. But I thought Sean Miller, I had a chance to speak with him after the game on on Saturday night. And one of the quotes he gave me um, was, they're very organized. They have great personnel, and they've been there. They've been in the winner circle, uh, both as a coaching staff and as a team. They always have a couple of members, even if their roles change from one year to the next, who are ready. A year ago, they won 30-some games. You live like that. You believe in yourself, and they have a great confidence about that and how they play. It's, it's absolutely true. There is something really strong to be said about the fact that when you go to play for Mark Few and you go to Gonzaga, and that's considered really one of the most uplifting, optimistic cultures, and rightfully so. I mean, Gonzaga is just an automatic for 25-plus wins every single season, even if you're freshman Drew Timmy and you're entering into a new role, or you're Philip Petrusev, who as a sophomore has become what Miller... Miller says he is their most dangerous weapon on the roster this season, partly because Tilly's not fully healthy at this point. You just step in, you're ready to go. Corey Kispert, you know, Gonzaga was also tricky in this game game um they threw Kispert at the four which had not been done most of the season and it did catch Arizona a little bit off guard it and it also Arizona's got three freshmen that it relies on more than anyone so it was definitely a function of really savvy coaching um it's not like Arizona was completely unprepared for it but they had not Gonzaga had not run Kispert at the four for most of it maybe a little bit in the Texas A&M game assistant Tommy Lloyd told me afterwards so that was and it's just it's just another example of Kispert can kill you in so many different 
different ways, but he's ready when they prep to say, we're going to go small, play you at the four, and he thrives. And even then, they like Admon Gilder had not had a good season so far on the whole relative to expectations. He had four three-pointers, so everything kind of came up just right for Gonzaga in this game. And conversely... It was the opposite for Arizona with everything except Zeke Naji, uh, who had the best game of his career, 16.17 boards, came out on fire, played so well he had been in the slump. But Nico Mannion was what, 3 of 20 from from the floor, and you know I, I sat down with Nico before because I'm going to do a little something on him, do a little something on Zeke, and Nico was so ready and eager for this game. The whole team was. They wanted this They wanted this kind of challenge. This was the biggest game on their non-conference schedule, and it was just one of those weird nights. Credit to Woolridge. He did a great job defensively, but Nico also missed at least five shots that most other nights are just going to fall, particularly at home. So they just couldn't get the breaks there uh, that they needed. Credit to Gonzaga for getting the win. They definitely earned it. It was a, a well-coached game. But Arizona was hot from three heading into that game and just abysmal overall, Parrish. I think that was one of the biggest reasons why. It wasn't just Mannion, but as a team, they shot 8 of 30 from deep, 26.7, and they were hitting at about a 40% clip going into the game. That wound up being a pretty big killer as well. Yeah, uh, to add to the Nico Mannion numbers, it, 3 of 20 from the field, you're exactly right. 1 of 10 from 3, 0. This is the one that concerns me from your point guard. Zero free throw attempts. Couldn't couldn't draw the fouls. Now, he did. It, that is concerning. I will say he did manage to get, I think, at 10 assists. I don't have it in front of me, but I wrote it in my notebook last night. So he did still distribute and do stuff. Like, they did not lose because Nico just purely had an off-shooting eye. It didn't help. And, in fact, I think he was, I think he was like, two of 18 or two of 19 because he hit the three that made it, like, weirdly close at the end and, and got it, like, you know, kind of crazy there. But, yeah, I mean... Arizona's never had a team, Sean Miller's never had a team that has relied on a trio of freshmen more than this trio. Uh, he's had really good recruiting classes, and he's had four really good freshmen come in, but there has never been a trio that has led the team in minutes, led the team in scoring, assists, rebounds. That is the case with Nico, Josh Green, Zeke Naji. Right now, if you tell a coach you're going to have three awesome freshmen and you can get to 10-2, and two, potentially 11-2, and two. the only game left for Arizona is in. How about this one, just as a quick aside? St. John's, when Chris Mullen was there, scheduled their next game. So like a homecoming, they're going to play in the Warriors' new building. It was going to be Chris Mullen coaching St. John's, going back to Golden <laughs> State. And there's no return game. There's no like Arizona plays at the Garden or the Prudential Center next year. It's just this random one-off. And so now... You're Mike Anderson, and you got to fly out to the West Coast in your first year at St. John's to go up against Arizona. What? It's just a really random game. Anyway, let's say they win that game. You would take that almost every single time. Eleven and two in the non-conference, overly relying on three freshmen. There's, you know, Chase Jeter's doing a solid job. Max Hazard's a nice grad transfer. Jamal Baker's fitting in just well. I think big picture, if you're an Arizona fan, still feel comfortable, but it does not yet have a signature win. Beat Illinois at home, that's fine. That's that's nice. I think Illinois will make the tournament, but Baylor and Gonzaga were so much better opportunities for signature wins. It's still not there, so that means. Arizona's now its first chance at a really true signature kind of win will come January 9th when it has to play at Oregon. And right now the Ducks and Wildcats, to me, are kind of neck and neck for best team in that league. The Warriors should honor Mike Anderson. They should. <laughs> they should honor, they should honor Mike Anderson in some sort of way, man. This is That is a classic example of you get a new job, you walk in, and you're like, what kind of schedule am I walking? Like, what am I? What did I sign up for here in this year, number one? It's just a total random one-off and, yeah, they schedule it, and then Mullen leaves, and now it's he's left with that on his plate. 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's an all time funny scheduling yeah. situation. You got to play Arizona in San Francisco because the guy you replaced wanted to be honored. By Correct, him. and he did. And the and the thing is, like, they didn't even usually when that happens. A no, lot of times, you get the return you, game. You or you, oh no, but like usually a situation like this, you might just buy out of it. Like, hey, yeah. listen, we're not going to do this anymore. But I guess like St. John's is just like, who cares? I guess, <laughs> I, I guess it's it's just the, it's the most random game on the slate next weekend. So, uh, yeah, just just a, just a bizarre one. What were your thought? Uh, you know, thoughts on uh, on Arizona? If you if you have any from because you know they obviously hyped. You had them what? What what did you have them before you updated top twenty five and one on Sunday? Did you have them in your top? 16 yeah. or 17? Yeah, I, I, I had um 16, and I left them at 16. So, okay, I mean, listen, Gonzaga's really good, but a home loss, okay, so home loss to a ranked team, you know, ultimate margin's only four points. Uh, Miller even said that Gonzaga was 10 to 12 points better than us tonight, which is probably accurate, but the final margin's the final margin, but just you decided not to ding them for it. Yeah, I, I could have dropped them, um, obviously. There's nothing crazy about dropping a home favorite for losing, um, but I, I didn't, you know, they, they were competitive for much of the night, with, you know, one of the three best teams in the country, I think, right now. And so, whatever. I just left them there. Um, I I believe I left them right – I believe I left them right where they were. I I might have dropped them a spot. Actually, let me double check While you check that real quick, just, you know, for fans of both programs and college basketball in general, like, this kind of stuff is great. I mean, on a a personal and professional note, it was was terrific to get to go and see that game, an on-campus game. Mikhail – a great venue. It's I didn't realize this. It's sunken in, so it's a, you you approach it and you know it's kind of got a, a low uh, a low roof relative to you know the building. But you walk in and then most of it's down uh, and sunken in. Really good environment. I just think it's it's just big enough and still cozy enough. Um, but the the point I'm belaboring trying to get to here is that. Um, the Mark was asked, asked, why would you schedule this game? Not like, you know, pejoratively, just like, why, how'd this come about? And I even talked to Sean before the game. You know, Mark and Sean, they they want to have this kind of game. And then even in the press conference with Sean Miller, he was asked if he would like to continue this kind of thing. Arizona does go to Gonzaga next season. But Sean was even like, no, I would love to play Gonzaga, you know, Every year, provided we're going to win some of these games, and that obviously drew some chuckles there, because obviously, if you're going to get if you're going to get pounded by Mark Few five six years in a row, you're not going to want to continue it. But that's probably won't be the case. So I would love to see Gonzaga Arizona also continue beyond the series for next season. We'll see if they can do that. You know, the two most preeminent West Coast programs right now at this point. You know, I know Oregon's right there. UCLA's a traditional power. I get all that. But um, Gonzaga in terms of winning and Arizona in terms of winning the recruiting battle, those are the two most prominent west of the Rockies. And it would be a great thing if we you know, came to learn a year from now that they decided to renew this because the coaches are very big on the home and home specifically. Um, they're, they're very big believers in those in general. You saw Arizona wasn't afraid to go to Baylor. So just a good note going forward because I know we're going to hit on this a little bit when we get to Memphis and Tennessee. That's all. Yeah, um, listen, keep playing the game as far as I'm concerned. It was a fun way to spend uh, the, the, the last part of a, of a long Saturday. You know, if you were in the central time zone or the eastern time zone, uh, I think here central, it didn't tip till 9, a little after 9 o'clock. And so, um, let, you know, it, it was a fun basketball game. I know it got a little um, out of hand late, but then Arizona made it interesting in the final 90 seconds. But either way, if Sean and Mark want to continue it, That'd be fine with me. So Saturday ended with Gonzaga's win at Arizona, but it basically started with Oregon's win at Michigan. And we're going to get into that next. But first, um, check this out. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Oregon went to Michigan on Saturday for a game that tipped at 9 a.m. in Eugene. Did not matter. The shorthanded Ducks jumped to a 16-point lead in the first half. They endured a Michigan run. And then won 71-70 in overtime. Fun game. Our friend and CBS Sports HQ uh, colleague, Hakeem Dermish, said it's the most fun game of the season. I'd argue maybe Dayton, Kansas is right there with it. But either way, Hakeem is right. It was an awesome game. And more than anything, it reminded me just how unpredictable college basketball can be. Like, remember, uh, these two teams were in the battle for Atlantis. Michigan, North, Michigan played North Carolina and Gonzaga. Beat them both. No problem. Same event. Oregon played North Carolina and Gonzaga, lost to both. Now Oregon and Michigan are playing in Ann Arbor. The Ducks are missing Shakur Houston, who's the second um, second on the team in minutes played. So literally, like, everything points to, yeah, Michigan ought to be able to handle this at home. And then, of course, Oregon wins because games are dumb. Norlander, did, did you see much of this, and does the outcome tell you more about Oregon or more about Michigan? I saw first 10 minutes, and I caught all of overtime. So I missed a lot. Like, I got – I went out, got some breakfast uh, in Arizona. Shout out to Baja Cafe, by the way. Top five brunch maybe ever. Legit, like, amazing. But I got back from that. As I turned on the television in my hotel room, overtime was just starting. So I didn't even realize until after the game had finished that Oregon had the winner that just didn't quite go off in time. Uh, But impressive nonetheless. And I know it was... Uh, in some ways, a little similar to Gonzaga, Arizona, in that it was it was uneven early, uh, got out ahead. Uh, what did I learn? I, I'll tell you what I did look at in the in the aftermath of the game. I looked at what Oregon's been able to do, and it's eight and two now. And I looked at its opponents so far. Like you know, it's got the neutrals. You know, Seton Hall, Gonzaga, North Carolina. You can't control some of that. I get that, but the, some of the other stuff, um, Memphis, even scheduling a halfway decent Boise State team at home, getting Houston at home, playing at Michigan, uh, Montana's its next game. It's still expected to be good in the league. To me, and I don't know if Dana Altman has said this publicly. Uh, you know. He wouldn't say what I'm about to say publicly. He wouldn't do that. But I actually think this is an indication of of Dana Altman thinking he's got the best team in the Pac-12 and a team that can win a national championship. Because right now, according to Ken Palm, Oregon ranks 11th in non-conference schedule strength. And normally, it's not that strong. Last season, 145 in non-conference schedule strength. The season before, 
318. The season before that, 137. The season before that, 139. And 2014-15, Oregon was 227. The pattern keeps going over the years. 200 the year before that. So normally, Oregon... Which can which piles up wins. Uh, there have even been a few more in the 300s. My notes are showing me. Uh, it just doesn't have a schedule out of league that is remotely this good. So when you have a coach that has shown a pattern of that, and now you see a drastic change, and some of it is a function of having get of the bracket breaking your way in Atlantis and lost the games with Gonzaga and Carolina, but still that indicates to me that. Altman is supremely confident in his team once Justin gets back and, and Folly Dante is actually on the floor um, that he thinks he'll have the best team in the Pac-12 and someone that can win uh, some group that can win a national championship. Peyton Pritchard's been uh, terrific for the most part this season. I know he was awesome in the Michigan game. So um, I didn't see the whole thing. But my biggest takeaways were that with Oregon. And then I did tweet briefly, Juwan Howard's just kind of going through everything through the first six weeks. Like you take this job, it's at your alma mater, um, a, just a prideful program. You know, Michigan is... Uh, is certainly, you know, considered like a, a blue ribbon type of status of a program, and you go from unranked to how are they going to be seven and zero, top five out of nowhere. You beat North Carolina, you beat Mark Few, you beat Roy Williams, and now, um, you know, from, from princess to frog or whatever the hell the analogy is, Chris Beard, you just made last week. It was something like that. Prince to frog, I can't remember. Anyway, I think that's it. Uh, lost three of four. Uh, heartbreaker at home. Michigan's still good, but you know now it's eight and three. So for Howard, I think he's just getting uh, a fast course on what life can be like as a head coach at the college level because this stuff can it can turn on you from a record standpoint in a hurry. But I still don't have big picture concerns about Michigan. Like it's probably going to be a tournament team. I didn't think it'd be a top two, top three team in the Big Ten. That might not be the case. Good on Oregon for getting the road win. That's bottom line. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about Michigan either. And I know like the easiest thing in the world to do right now is to point to Michigan after it got all of the attention winning the battle for Atlantis and say, uh, without context, and now they've lost three or four. Ah, they're one and three in the past four games, it, which is true. Like, I can't argue with the numbers. But each loss is to a top 40 Ken Palm team. One of them is at Louisville, third at Ken Palm. Another one's at Illinois, 39th at Ken Palm. And the other one's a home game to Oregon. And you're not supposed to lose that one. They were like a two, three-point favorite. But it's a, it's a Oregon, which is 11th at Ken Palm. So they were underdogs in two of the three. And then they lost in overtime to a, a very good Oregon team that right now has four wins over top 30 Ken Palm teams. They beat Michigan, which is 18th. Seton Hall, which is 24th. Memphis, which is 29th. Houston, uh, which is 30th. And, um, you know, they got this one largely. You touched on it because of Peyton Pritchard. He was awesome. The Oregon shot 51% from the field. Michigan entered as a top 20 team in terms of defensive efficiency. Oregon shot 51% against them. Peyton Pritchard, 11 of 19 from the field, 23 points. 19 of those 23 came after halftime, and he scored 13 straight at one point, was just yeah. doing it all by himself. Meantime, uh, right across from him, Xavier Simpson was not good. 11 assists, that's terrific. 3 of 11 from the field. But if you're going to take that many shots, you you can't miss that many shots, um, especially the one in the final seconds. He took the game winner, missed it. Brandon Johns tried to tip it in, missed that. Brandon Johns also missed two free throws in overtime. So, like, there's a lot of little bitty things that could have allowed this game to go either way. So it's it's good for Oregon, but I don't think devastating for Michigan. And Oregon is interesting now because – People, after what happened yesterday, and we'll get to Memphis, Tennessee in a moment, people start talking about Memphis going, my God, they're this good right now, and they're going to add James Wiseman. Well, 
Oregon's this good right now, and they're about to add a five-star big two. You yeah. mentioned Infali Dante. He was available yesterday, but had not practiced like even a minute, I guess, and, and Dana just decided not to use him. But just like Memphis is about to add um, James Wiseman and Lester Quinones to a very good and accomplished team, Oregon's about to add Infali Dante and Shakir Justin back to – uh, an already accomplished and really good team. And so I, I would keep an eye on that Oregon team. They, they're they putting together something that looks like not only Pac-12 champion good enough, but but maybe Final Four good enough. It's definitely possible. I'll stick with my – I thought Arizona would be the best team in the conference this season. I'm going to cling to that a little while longer here. I do like the Wildcats' ceiling ultimately. Like I think – Nico Manning's never going to have a game that, that's that bad again. Josh Green's a really good two-way player, and Zeke Naji I think, is going to figure it out. But it, we could also easily have a situation where they they wind up tying uh, with the best record. The, to me, Oregon is it's considered the favorite and the best team in the, in the conference right now, and that's fair. And that's also it's also good for the Pac-12 just in general to have um, these teams. Man, it would have been great for the league if, if Arizona had been able to pull that out just to get you know get the top three, top four teams in the conference just to, to have a strong bounce back year collectively after such a down season a year ago. Um, and there was some good stuff. Like, I know Arizona State just, you know, Georgia was barely competitive. Arizona State got a nice home win um, on Saturday as well, just up the road uh, up in, in, in Phoenix. But uh, or in Tempe, I should say. But, uh, but yeah, no, Oregon's definitely intriguing. And certainly, also because the way that their roster is comprised, I'm, I know many of the listeners got a chance to watch them on Saturday. Uh, they, will, they will even be more high-powered going forward in Pac-12 play. You play Michigan on its home floor, only get 71 in overtime, get the win, but only get 71. Uh, that's not going to be the case going forward. I would expect Oregon to, uh, to really find its groove come January. So that is uh, Gonzaga going and winning at Arizona, Oregon going and winning at Michigan, and then the third-ranked team to go on the road and and beat a ranked team as an underdog. Um, that was Memphis, and probably the most surprising of the big three results, at least from a point spread uh, perspective. Um, Memphis won at Tennessee, six-point underdog at tip, down 17-5 to early. They scored exactly five points in the first 12 minutes of the game. It was ugly, but Tennessee could not take advantage. So Memphis actually led at the half, and then the second half, it was tight throughout. Nobody ever led by more than four points. Memphis was down a point in the final two minutes, but then Damian Baugh, who had only taken five three-pointers all season, is not regarded as a shooter at all, even though he's making the ones he takes, but he'd only taken five, so that tells you all you need to know. Um, he buried a three-pointer with 148 left to give Memphis a 49-47 lead. Then Alex Lomax made two free throws with eight seconds left to secure what was a 51-47 victory that snapped Tennessee's 31-game winning streak at home, which was the longest in the nation, and it gave Penny Hardaway his first win over a top-25 opponent. And Memphis, it was Memphis's first win on the road over a top-25 team since January 2014. Um, that's when the Tigers beat Louisville at the Yum Center, 73-67. It was a season in which Louisville finished number one at Kempom, but went 0-2 against Josh Pastner's Tigers. Mm. So like, that's a w- weird fact. Anyway, massive win for Memphis. They're now 9-1 and with the lone, lone loss coming uh, against Oregon and Portland by single digits. Norlander, let me get a Go Tigers go from you. Can I get a Go Tigers go from you? Is there like a certain cadence I need to be saying this in? Go Tigers, go! 
Go Tigers. Dun, 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 dun. Go Tigers, go. Dun, 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 dun. Go, go Tigers, go. That's the go, way that's the tigers, way it would go. Go. Yeah. yeah. So I did put put a little Go Tigers, go. <laughs> go Tigers, go. Hey, listen, I saw none of this game. That is a hideous 51-47 final. Um but you know, Tennessee that's that's a stinger of a loss obviously at home. This is some uh, this is some prideful stuff out of Memphis right now. No Wiseman, no Quinones. You're nine and one. Only loss, completely understandable, in a de facto home game against Oregon, and you get back to back road wins. Now you're looking at Jackson State, New Orleans, and Tulane upcoming before you you flip the calendar and celebrate New Year's. This is going to be. Um, I mean, ten and one, twelve and one team. As it, and then George is going to come to town. Can win that. They're looking good, man. Benny Hardaway is doing a really. He and that staff are doing a very good job and have maintained a pace that almost nobody really believed that it could maintain. Particularly with two starters being down, so reliant on freshmen. When Wiseman stuff, when that came to be, there's no shot. I thought they would be nine and one through ten games. I know you didn't think that, even with your Go Tigers go and all that, all that stuff. So credit to them. To me, that's more the story. Tennessee, we'll see. They're going to have a lot of opportunities. We'll get to them eventually. You know, they've got a weird game against Cincinnati. Who, by the way, is best player? Like it just. I'm sure you saw what Jaron Cumberland did. <laughs> they lost at home to Colgate. Can't even get into Cincinnati. I actually picked that team to win the American. I picked that team, not Memphis. I picked Cincinnati. What am I doing? What was I doing? What was I thinking? What am I thinking? Oh, my God, Jerron Cumberland, what was that? Anyway, that's Tennessee's next opponent. To me, the bigger story was Memphis. Um, the story, uh, absolutely, is Memphis. And to your point, like, Penny and his staff are doing a terrific job. Like, I think everybody's known for a while he's, a, um, he's going to be a, a, a competent and accomplished recruiter. Um, he's doing a good job coaching this basketball team because forget what I thought they were going to be. Um, through 10 games or what you thought they were going to be through 10 games, um, the point spread suggested that they should be 7-3 and three after 10 games. They've been underdogs three times. Um, they're 2-1 and one in those games, and they're 7-0 and oh as a favorite. So what do we usually – when we talk about the good coaches, what, what, what do we usually assign to that? Like guys who don't lose games they're not supposed to lose and guys who every once in a while can win games they, they're not supposed to win. Well, Penny's doing that. You know, he's seven and zero as a favorite, two and one as an underdog. They were projected um, at Ken Palm through ten games to also be seven and three in the preseason. And this is when they were supposed to have James Wiseman and Lester Kenyon as healthy. They were, they should have been seven and three according to Ken Palm through ten games with losses to um, Oregon in Portland, Tennessee in Knoxville, and to NC State in in Brooklyn. So the idea that they're now sitting here um with a 9 and run record and they've gone from 50th to 29th at Kempom, like there's no way to measure these things that doesn't say um that they're, they're doing a terrific job. And it now like it's it's not crazy to think that they could be 12 and 0 during James Wiseman's 12 game suspension. Like they're 7 and 0 without James Wiseman right now. Um, the they got like you said they got a home game with Georgia that could be tricky in early January. But the only time they're going to be underdogs again between now and the day James Wiseman returns is at Wichita State, and Kim Palm currently projects the Shockers as a three point favorite in that game. 
So there's nothing crazy about winning a game when you're a three-point favorite, particularly if you just won a game when you were uh, a six-point favorite. So um, just just big picture, you know, great stuff. Obviously, with given where I live and the radio show that I host, we had talked about, you know, the 12 games that they'd have to play without James Wiseman and Jeff Calkins, the columnist at the Daily Memphis, and I had sort of settled on um, 10 and two would be terrific through the 12 games, like you'd take it, you'd be happy with that. Nine and three would be totally acceptable and anything better than 10 and two would be magnificent. Mm-hmm. And they might actually end up 12 and zero in that, in that 12 game stretch. As for the game, um, Memphis just looked, and I know you didn't see much of it. So maybe your eyes would have told you a different thing, but they just look more athletic and more talented. They, they don't have James Wiseman or Lester Quinones right now, but this is a point I've made consistently over the past couple of weeks, they still have Precious Achua, DJ Jeffries, and Boogie Ellis. And what that means is they still have a projected lottery pick, plus a player Kentucky wanted, plus another player Duke wanted. That means they're still talented. And the other thing is the freshmen keep getting all of the attention, and they should. They started four freshmen in Knoxville yesterday and went and won the game. And if James Wiseman were eligible, um, they'd be starting five freshmen right now. And they will be starting five freshmen again you know, relatively soon. But the sophomores keep making big plays. Tyler Harris yesterday had a team-high 11 points on three three-pointers. And Alex Lomax got a big rebound with 21 seconds left, made some free throws late to secure the win. So the sophomores are probably not the key to this team, but they are being impactful um, on a freshman-heavy, reliant, uh, heavily reliant team. Uh, Tennessee, the big number everybody needs to know, 4 of 26 from three-point range. And it was just Open shot after open mm. shot after open shot. They could not make an open shot. And even Penny afterwards said, "Listen, they're not gonna, they're not gonna shoot like that again. Like we 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 caught them on a on a on a bad shooting day." But either way, um, nine and one through ten games. Uh, Tennessee, I've still got in the top twenty-five. I think I might have dropped them a spot, but that's a that's a big win for Memphis from a rivalry perspective, but also from a go out and show you can beat a good team on the road perspective. They they went out and did that. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. Did you see the t- Memphis-specific tweet I had earlier this afternoon? I No, I, so I traveled back, obviously, from Arizona. I'm back home in Connecticut now, and I was on a self-imposed blackout with the Bears-Packers okay. game, so I've, I've avoided social media and communication with anyone that's not you or my wife at all costs. Okay, good. Trivia time! Oh, boy! This is, this is actually... I, I don't know what it means. I mean, I, I can tell you what I... Well, I can well, tell you who what knows what trivia time ever means, but yeah, sure. Okay. Just so I, I'm, I'm looking at all the numbers today, and I told you Memphis started the season like 51st at Ken Palm, and that was totally like um, disrespectful to the Memphis fans. They, took, they, they were ready to, they were ready to boycott Ken Palm uh, forever. And you know, I even brought Ken on the radio show, and he explained like, well, you know, you have to understand this and that, and whatever. But they weren't, they weren't having it. Either way, they've gone from 51st to 29th, and all of the numbers are good because you can't go from 51st to 29th in a, in a month without the numbers being good. So I noticed this right now: Memphis is number 15 in the country in adjusted tempo. They're playing at the 15th fastest pace in the country, and they're also 17th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. Where are you going with this? This is going to blow your mind when I when I tell you. Is this, this going to be a trivia time at any point? Yes, it's going to be a trivia time at a point. Okay. So I looked at that, and I said that can't be common. 
Like that to be playing at a top 15 tempo and still be really good defense to play that fast and be that good defensively cannot be a common thing. I wonder how common it is. So I went and started looking. This is the way my mind works. Now I'm digging through numbers. And what I found is that in the past 15 seasons, only seven teams, seven in 15 seasons, have finished top 15 in tempo and top 20 in defensive efficiency in the same season. And they all are the same school. Trivia time, what is the school? Wow. This is a good one. Okay. Gonzaga is my first answer. It's not Gonzaga. Okay. Carolina is my my second. It is Carolina. It's North Carolina. So check this out. Just to make sure everybody understands how wild this is. And I'm not saying Memphis is going to finish top 15 in tempo or top 20 in defensive efficiency. I mean, you you don't even give me credit for, like, on second guess, I get it. You're just like, all right, let's move it on. Well, in fairness, like, North Carolina would be the obvious guess. All right, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Whatever. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not telling you where Memphis is going to finish. I'm just saying that's where Memphis is right now. 15th in tempo, 17th in defensive efficiency. Um, Top 15 in tempo, top 20 in defensive efficiency. Only seven teams in the past 15 seasons have finished top 15 in tempo and top 20 in defensive efficiency. And all seven were coached by Roy Williams at North Carolina. Here's how it breaks down. It's 2005, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2011, 2012, and last season's team, 2019. Now, here's what's interesting. So you go, okay, well, what does that even mean? And I don't know what it means, except this. It's rare. It's a rare thing, and when a team performs that way in those specific ways, they're always good. Six of those seven teams got a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. The other one got a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Two of them won national titles. What do you think about that, Norlander? Uh, that's that's damn impressive, um, but also, you know, Carolina, you're in the ACC. You're going to get, you know, if you're able to do that against that competition. Here's what I would say. If you're Memphis and and you've gotten to this point without Wiseman, then I would say if you're a Memphis fan, your expectation should be a four seed at the worst right now. You should, you, if this team is going to be this good, you should expect a four seed at least. Three seed, probable. Two seed possible, but also difficult. Um, and I'm gonna. I, I I think that there could be something of a slump that still hits Memphis. But um, but what they've done is awesome. Here, one more quick thing on this, then we should move on. I know we never get to talk a lot of Memphis, so I understand we got to talk about them here. Um, I just gave you the best research trivia time of all. It was time. it was terrific. It was terrific. Now, only seventeen. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. So. What I did see on Saturday was a different tweet of yours, and that was, I believe it was a reporter that was on the scene uh, saying that Penny Hardaway publicly stumped for this series to continue, um, which I think he always has done. So I I have a two-part question. One, did we get anything even remotely close like that out of the mouth of Rick Barnes and then two, uh, do you have at least some improved optimism that this, you know, genuinely fantastic regional rivalry actually can have legs with these two coaches beyond next season? Rick did not 
Rick was was more open to it than he was open to it a month ago. A month ago, he said, I don't think we're going to do it. Yesterday, he said, we'll see. You know, I'm not saying we won't. I'm not saying we will, but we will see. Um, but obviously, you know, Rick Rick is now talking when he talks about it. He says, you know, but there's a lot of schools in the state. Um, you know, there's East Tennessee State and Belmont and Middle. And he's like throwing Memphis in the group with East Tennessee State what? Middle and Belmont. He's like saying Memphis is just one of the schools in the oh, t- Tennessee. Oh, my gosh. And that would be like. John Calipari saying, "Listen, we'd like to play Louisville. We got EKU, but like, but Eastern. What about Eastern Kentucky and Western Kentucky? You know, it's like get out of here. So, here's the truth. A year ago, before the game, Rick Barnes came on my radio show and was saying, "This is important for Tennessee. This is important for Memphis. This is great for the fans. This is great for the state. We need to keep this going." The only thing that's changed is. Penny Hardaway said, Rick Barnes, get the F out of here. That's the only thing that changed. And so Rick was like, I don't listen. That guy wants to be that way. I don't even have to deal with him. And it is true, I think, that both programs can survive without each other. But I do think Memphis probably needs the game more than Tennessee. Tennessee still every year going to have games with Kentucky and Florida and, you know, whatever else. You know, Memphis is not in the SEC. So they didn't get those kinds of games unless you, you know, Wichita's great. Cincinnati's great. But there's fewer of them, and if you can get a game that your fans really get fired up about, um, then I say get it, and Tennessee is, is one of those games. And so uh, Rick is at least open to it now, but I will say the most interesting thing that happened yesterday was Penny showed real contrition. Um, like every time it's been brought up to him what he said in the past, he would never double down on it, but he would say, I was just fighting for my kids, and I'm always going to fight for my kids. He would never like actually say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, or I was out of line. And yet, yesterday he said that he went back and read the quotes that got all of this started. And he said, it made me cringe. Um, I took it too far. It got out of hand, and it was my fault. I take responsibility for it. And so that was something that he'd never really done before, which is say, you know what? If you're out there thinking I was out of line and I took it too far, you're right. I agree with you. I was out of line, and I— I took it too far, but hopefully – he said he talked to Rick about it. They had a nice little exchange pregame. He said, I talked to Coach Barnes about it, and hopefully we can uh, not let that get in the way of, of doing what's right for both schools. So, um, yeah, I, I think they'll continue it. I, I don't think they'll announce it tomorrow, but I, I do think that they'll continue that series. And, and like we've been through before, I think they should. It's, it's a terrific in-state series between relevant basketball programs whose fan bases do not like each other. To me, those are the best kind of rivalries to have. Okay, so how about this? Weird thing from the weekend. When I was in Arizona, it just so happened uh, that James Akinjo took an official visit to Arizona. Now, Arizona originally did recruit Akinjo, but I don't think it ever they got, ever got like a ton of traction. So now Akinjo's out at Georgetown. Uh, Myron Gardner and Galen Alexander, oh, by the way, two of the players have been accused and sworn complaints of uh, some egregious behavior, both theft and sexual harassment and violence. They have left. Galen Alexander posted a, a message that was at equal parts appreciative and uh, – completely dismissive of Georgetown. But anyway, as all this is happening, um, Jim Beheim. so Georgetown beat Syracuse and then Parrish, what what exactly did Jim Beheim say? What did he say and when's the last time you can ever remember an opposing coach saying that, albeit I know Kendra's no longer there, but if you're Beheim, you don't give an F. I know that. I, I, I can see that. But I thought this was one of the more 
interesting things to crop up unexpectedly on Saturday. I never heard anything like it, or at least I can't remember anything like it. So um, first, the details. Georgetown beat Syracuse 89-79 on Saturday. Uh, the Orange are now 5-5, five and five, and we probably need to address that on a podcast at some point. But for now, let's just focus on Jim Boeheim's postgame comments because that's what created the headline. So Georgetown's 3-0 and now since James Akinjo left the program. So keep that in mind as you listen to this quote from, from Boeheim. Here's what he said. He said, Georgetown got rid of a guy who wouldn't pass the ball to anybody and just shot it every time, and that's why they're good now. Patrick can't say it, but I can. Akinjo lost two games by himself. Now, to be clear and fair, he did not say Akinjo. He said he lost two games by himself, but the impl- it's clearly he's talking about James Akinjo, right? Uh, he says yes. they got rid of a guy who wouldn't pass the ball to anybody, shot it every time, and that's why they're good now. Patrick can't say it, but I can. He lost two games by himself. I don't think I've ever heard a college coach, for lack of a better cliche, throw a college basketball player under the so-called bus like that. Can you remember anything like that? No, and my guess on this I don't – this is my guess. I don't believe Jim Beheim ever says something like that, like if he had talked to Patrick about Akinjo. I just don't th- – Oh, I, th- I think Jim – I think Jim's reached the point, and Rick Patino reached this point too, where they, they just get to a point where they're, they're above it. They don't care. They, they will say anything. Right. And I, I think I, – I, I hear you. I hear you. I, 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 I can certainly envision um, Jim wanting to have Patrick's back here and talking and talking to Patrick about it, but I can also envision Jim just having never talked to Patrick about it and just saying what he what he believes. Which, by the way, there's some evidence to back it up. I'll give you in a minute. Sure. Here's my read on it. So you know, Syracuse is in a down season. I get all that, but Beheim is also he has had his issues with with roster, with transfers, with players having issues and all that stuff. Like obviously, you know, coach for forty plus years, uh, you're gonna have an issue. By the way, Wofford just beat UNC. We're talking about that after this happened. We're recording this live. Wofford, Wofford just won again against UNC. Anyway, um, here's what I think happened. I think. Uh, Beheim and his staff, they looked at tape, they looked at all this tape, you know, you, you, you got to see what Georgetown does, and now you're in this weird spot where, like, the primary ball handler is no longer on the team, but they're still seeing what happened, and then he knows that Patrick's probably in the thick of it right now, because they're down to, what, seven, eight scholarship players Nine. at Georgetown, and he knows how much the job means to Patrick, and even though there's, like, obviously a real rivalry between the schools, um, Beheim and Patrick Ewing, from what I can understand, there's uh, obviously a genuine respect there, and so he probably Bayheim, uh, because again, he's at this point in his life and his career where he does not have to give an F. Is like, you know what? You know, we lost whatever. I'm going to say what I think how it is here. Uh, that dude was costing Georgetown games, and I'm just going to go off. I'm guessing he did that, and Patrick didn't know it was coming, that they didn't even talk. But I will also say this he's not entirely correct. I mean, Akinjo had an assist rate north of 25%. He was. At worst, their second best player. You can make an argument for Yurt Seven, and I know Mac McClung. He's going to be on. He's going to be on the look at me now. <laughs> F you all, Mac McClung tour for the rest of the season, and I think that can be very fun. Um, but to me, Akinjo is a real talent, and I thought Bayheim was obviously over. Now I'm. I'm appreciative of the quote, but I thought he was over the line with the quote, and I just don't think that it was entirely accurate what he said. Uh, perhaps. But this is true. James Akinjo was taking 12.7 shots per game. He was shooting 33.7% from the field, 24.2% from three-point range. He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't an all-star. I'm not saying that. But 
And they've won without they and, listen. And, and, without and, and, him, and, they listen. Syracuse road wins. I Oklahoma State. They have definitely been able to manage this. But let me give. Okay, I got it right here. Right, four, go they were four and three with James Akinjo. They're three and zero oh without him. With three top 100 Kimpom wins, Oklahoma State, SMU, and Syracuse, on the day Akinjo left the team, Georgetown was 67th at Kimpom. They're 45th now. They've they've moved up 22 spots in three games, and he's not there. So like, <laughs> how about hold on? How about this? How about how about the universe? flexing inward on itself how about ewing theory applying to patrick ewing's team with one of his own dudes what yeah. is happening right now and for those who don't know ewing theory google it bill simmons came up with it like 15 years ago and i think will leach actually debunked it but still act that's this is an incredible thing that's happening right now ewing theory for patrick ewing's own damn team that he's coaching right now yeah so. like, like let's we can think whatever we want to think about james akinjo here what here's what's undeniable um they have got they've gotten better without him that's undeniable I don't. I perhaps it's just um, like I. I I, don't, I can't remember if I saw somebody tweet this or heard somebody say it, or maybe it was a text message I got. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But it was like they they got rid of they got rid of four guys that were problem guys, and now they're they're a happier bunch. They're like they're it's it's it, like you get rid of four guys that are problem guys, and suddenly your team comes together, and this is what not always happens. But but can happen. So perhaps that's an uh, explanation as well. But either way, they've improved twenty. They're three and zero since Akinjo left the team, and they've improved twenty two spots up to number forty five at, at Kimpom. So that's um, at the very least, it's interesting stuff. And the Bayheim quote was, I don't want to say it was fantastic. I don't know if it was fantastic. It might have, as you put, been out of line. But it was certainly interesting, if only because coaches don't don't usually talk like that about their own players, and certainly not other people's players in fact it's kind of an unwritten rule in yeah. college basketball like you you coach coaches said all the time coach your own team talk about your own team don't talk about my team it's kind of where k got in that tricky situation a few years ago with dylan brooks right right because because he he stopped dylan brooks and said you know you need to do this you need to do that and the, the criticism to the extent that the criticism came was like yo you let dana altman tell his players how he ought to be and you tell your players how they ought to be, but you don't talk to Dana Altman's players and tell them how what they should and should not do. And yet Beheim just blew it out of the water, just tr- trashing uh, James Akinjo. So anyway, that's that. Um, you want to go to North Carolina now? Just real quick, man. Uh, yeah, it just is- happened. Uh, it, it just a uh, spirit of uh, uh, transparency. We're recording this earlier than usual on Sunday. It is. It's now five oh one. Uh, Central. The reason is because I've got to be at uh, a friend's birthday party uh, tonight. And so when we sat down, Norlander, who's been traveling all day, he said, has anything interesting happened today? And I said, well, Oklahoma State shorthanded one at Houston, but we're probably not going to talk about that. And I said, oh, and Wofford's beating North Carolina right now. And Cole Anthony and Leaky Black. Sometimes we talk about Leaky Black. Sometimes. Neither one of them are playing. So we both had it on our televisions here, keeping an eye on it. And it is true. North Carolina uh, lost the game. Final score, 68-64. So North Carolina drops to 6-4. and four. And, yes, they didn't have Cole Anthony, so they lost. And if they would have had Cole Anthony, they would have probably won. But I will tell you, I had Carolina wherever I had them in the top 25-1 and one this morning, um, uh, 13th. And the reason is because all their losses up until now were to teams – you know, ranked higher than them. Um, so it was like, I, I see what everybody else is seeing. They, they don't look great, but the resume is not, t- 
terrible right now. They still got to win over Oregon. And I got a text message from a prominent college basketball television analyst. And he said, um, you've got North Carolina too high. Why, why, <laughs> would, why would Dan Dockage text you that? I don't get that. <laughs> uh, Dan Dockage and I do not text anymore. Oh, um, <laughs> but – uh, I, mean, I, I can't wait to hit that guy back and say, I wish you would have told me this yesterday because North Carolina has now suffered a, a loss to Wofford. They're six and four. And I assume now I've got to get them completely out of the top 25 and one shame on shame on the Tar Heels. I would say so. How about this? Wofford is two and two lifetime against UNC. The, all the meetings, uh, Roy Williams, uh, not afraid to schedule the Terriers. This, there's, there's no Fletcher McGee on this team. Mike Young's up the road at Virginia Tech and the Terriers get it done, no, I'm not going to say that this is going to be a quad one win. I will not even go close to that. But credit to Wofford. By the way, the game, I, you know, watching this as we were, as we were podcasting here, um, they played at that Carmichael Arena and it had been more than three decades since they had played a game uh, in Carmichael uh, at UNC. I thought it looked awesome. I hope this isn't a thing where – Roy gets superstitious and is like, we're not doing that again. I think that UNC should play one game at least a year in that building whenever it makes most sense. I, it's got to be obviously a mid-low major team that you can do that with and maybe around final schedule or when the kids are on, uh, away on break and the, and the crowds can do it. I thought it looked great. I just uh, inherently when I turned it on, I was like, when did the D- – because I knew it, but I forgot that I knew it, Paris. I was like, when did the Dean Dome renovate its lower floor to look like that? This is new. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 the game's at Carmichael. So I thought visually it was a really cool thing. The loss sucks. I mean, um, I'm on fire, man. I picked Providence to win the Big East. It's terrible. I picked Cincinnati to win the American. They're trash. I picked Carolina to win the ACC. Hard to figure how that's going to happen. I know they'll get Cole Anthony, and more importantly, obviously, Leaky Black. He'll be back soon enough. But obviously, a notable loss there. You got to drop him at this point. Uh, you can't take a home loss to a to an average Wofford team. Um, they're still good, but they're not as good as they were last season. Uh, UNC's in free fall. Lost four of the past five. Best win is the great one against Oregon. Uh, not a ton else there just yet. And now. Got to go travel across the country and play against Gonzaga. You know, this season's wacky. Maybe we're going to be talking on the Friday podcast from Vegas, by the way, about how Carolina was able to go to Gonzaga and win by 12 points. Maybe we'll get that. You know, maybe maybe that happens in advance of, by the way, obviously UNC playing at the CBS Sports Classic in Vegas. But I've got my doubts here. Uh, granted, what I just saw Gonzaga do on the road and what I've now seen Carolina do at home. Those are two schools, two teams going in opposite directions. So, um, yeah, by far the most notable result of Sunday right there. Thank God the way the matchups rotate, we get Ohio State-Kentucky at the CBS Sports Classic this season as opposed to Ohio State-UCLA, Kentucky-Carolina, or any other matchup because it appears we're going to have a top-10 matchup, but if we didn't have these two playing, it would probably be – Top 10 team against unranked team. Top 10 team against unranked team. You're right. Uh, we did get lucky in that. And we are recording this before Ohio State plays. Please let us not jinx the Buckeyes here. I mean. Chris Altman, don't. Just Chris. Chris. Take, ha- handle your business. Oh, now Paris is going to be furious if Ohio State loses. One, because we had to – listen, the early podcast Sunday, for those that are indulging near or around dinner time or just after, glad we could get it to you. But, um, you know, we won't be talking about that until Wednesday. And, more importantly, obviously, top 25 and one just – 
it, it, it complicates things that I know you don't want complicated when you're going to return home later on Sunday night. So that's what that's the only other thing here on Sunday uh, that we uh, that we await to see. Uh, it's, it actually wouldn't be that big of a deal. I mean, I want Ohio State to win, not because I root against I, like I love Richard Pitino, but I want Ohio State. They're playing at Minnesota. I want Ohio State to win because I want to see how many dummies won't rank undefeated Ohio State with the best resume and computer numbers in the country, number one tomorrow. So, but if Ohio State doesn't win, it's, you know, I just make Kansas number one or, or Gonzaga number one. It's not a big thing. It, it, it actually isn't the type of thing that becomes complicated for the top 25 and one. One thing to point out, yeah. um, Dwayne Washington's not going to play tonight. Mm. A second leading scorer. Not ideal. Not ideal, right? Is it, you know, like Minnesota has had its issues this season, but – Road games are tough in college basketball, particularly when you're shorthanded. So, um, so we'll see. But if Ohio State wins this game, as as I've explained, it feels like fifty thousand times at this point. If Ohio State wins this game, there is no sensible argument uh, to not have Ohio State number one in the country uh, on Monday uh, on your AP ballot or on your coaches poll uh, ballot. One last thing I want to get to before we get out of here, and that is the Miles Powell. Uh, situation. Uh, Seton Hall had final four hopes when the season began. I guess that st- they still exist, but right now they also have four losses, four losses before December 14th, uh, 15th. And that's because uh, their fourth came on December 14th, dropped to six and four after Saturday, 68, 48 loss at Rutgers. But the story again was Miles Powell reportedly suffered a concussion, only played 15 minutes. Seton Hall coach Kevin Willard so take it for what it's worth. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, at one point, he said Miles Powell asked him, why, why are we practicing at Rutgers? Which is like he didn't know Whoa. they were playing a game at Rutgers. That's yeah. how concussed he was. Didn't realize he was in a game. So that's that's scary stuff, right? That's real scary. He also said the eyes rolled back in the back of his head. Um, you see, they also took a shot. Like like I, they, they, they had a, somebody had a highlight package of it last night that I watched. And – he gets he gets hit tw- one time he gets he, his head hits the court hard and that looks like where it happened but then after that he got popped again and then on a subsequent possession he pulls up you know in a shot we've all seen him take you know a million times and like it wasn't close it just didn't touch nothing and then they bring him to the sideline and they set him down and that's when his he- eyes rolled in the back of his head and uh, presumably that's when he asked Kevin, like, why are we why are we practicing at Rutgers? It's like, oh, yo, man, you got to go yeah. to the back. And they they immediately put him in concussion protocol, which credit to them for recognizing what was happening and handling it the, what appeared to be the proper way. Not that everybody else wouldn't, but I don't I'm not sure everybody else would. That's legitimately scary and, and concerning. No doubt about it. Um just not good. Seton Hall's next game is home against Maryland on Thursday. We'll see if Powell's good to go for that or not. Seton Hall, unfortunately, um, has become uh, one of those teams we talk about every preseason. And when we just, you know, when we're on the precipice of starting the season, we get to talking about, okay, which teams in the top 25 are not going to be there, maybe miss the tournament, and which teams, you know, a couple that are outside of it are going to prove to be worthy of maybe even top 10, top 15 status. Seton Hall could easily become victim of the former here, uh, like West Virginia a season ago, just to name one of a, a couple that we see usually annually. Six and four was considered by plenty to be the best team in the Big East in the preseason, now has lost um, understandable games. Michigan State, heartbreaker at home, 
Oregon in the Bahamas. Um, split with Iowa State, and the loss happened last week at Iowa State. And then now the this one is not as understandable because of the margin, but also the Powell stuff, you know, whatever. 68-48 to 48 against Rutgers, who I think it was on the most recent podcast. You know, Rutgers is – Steve Peichel is doing some strong things there. Back-to-back wins at home uh, for the Scarlet Knights and good on them at 8-3 and three right now. Uh, certainly a, a solid team, but that's that's a stinger for for um, for Seton Hall. Oh, and by the way, did you uh, – did you happen to to catch what happened at uh, at halftime of the of the Rutgers Seton Hall game? Did you, did you did you hear what went down there? Together, Rutgers will be number one. I'm sorry, I'm gonna need to hear that one more time, Greg Shiano. What did you say? Together, Rutgers will be number one. Okay then. Together, okay, Rutgers. Okay, right, is he talking hoops with Pykele? What would what, what, I'm 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 just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take the under on that. On <laughs> um, Rutgers being number one at anything ever, and I'm a Steve Peichel fan. I think he is doing a, a. If you can make Rutgers respectable, Rutgers is a little bit like Penn State to me. If you can make it respectable, you're doing an incredible job. And Steve has made Rutgers incredible. But number one, I don't know. I think Shiano's <laughs> a little fired up there. Oh man, let him have let let Piscataway let the rack. Let them have their moment. Big time day. Big time day on Saturday for Rutgers. You got Shiano back speaking at halftime. The team's fired up. Rutgers beat Seton Hall of all teams. The intra-Garden State battle by 20. Genuine congrats to Rutgers. You're on the right track there. Number one in the state. Yeah, I mean, if he's talking within the state, I think that's completely achievable. I, I think that's champions. possible. They could be state champions. They could be, yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, um, so good win for Rutgers. Brutal thing for Seton Hall. Let's see what happens with Maryland on Thursday as we go forward. Last thing before we get to the reader review, and this is an well, unusually long podcast. Do you do you have anything more on that? Because I had one. Well, just, uh, just of note. Okay. And if you said this, I and, you, I and I missed it. I apologize. But you know, Seton Hall's already without its second leading score. I did not mention that. Yeah, that's also yes, yes. So do you dare say his? No, 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 no. Do you dare? Do you dare? Go ahead. Tell the <laughs> listeners, hold on, Parrish. Tell the listeners who the second leading scorer is. It's intimidating to look at. It's an intimidating name. <laughs> I love how you're going to be like the second this leading is, scorer. No, no, no. Listen, there are there are there are thousands right now that aren't Seton Hall fans. They don't know who this young man is. A junior, six eleven. I I need you to tell everyone who this person is. His name is. Sandru Mamu Kelashvili. All right, that, that's you're 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 pretty much there. Yes, Sandru Mamu Kelashvili. Yeah. This is one, <laughs> just some inside <laughs> inside baseball stuff. When we're in studio, oh, you don't even go there. <laughs> you don't even go there. It, 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 it'll 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 be like uh, okay, uh, GP, you got the Seton Hall highlight. I'm like sure, <laughs> and then you, you're hoping there's no Mamu Kelashvili. A dunk or a rebound or anything, right? You're just hoping it's all miles, pal. But then it's like uh, you know, what we get in studio, it's called a shot sheet. And what um, any any halftime show you see, they have shot sheets. And what that is is it's a breakdown of what each play in the highlight is going to be. So it'll say simple stuff. You know, uh, Miles Powell three-pointer, Seton Hall up 31-28. And then it's like uh, Miles Powell with a steal, Seton Hall in transition, uh, Miles Powell finishes Seton Hall up 42, uh, you know, the, the, the 35. And then you're like, all right, this is easy. This is fine. And then it's like, 
Um, Sandrew Mamu Kellyshville. I was like, son of a no, no. Can we just do we really need that? That that can we? And then it's like, so then you figure out ways to talk around it. It's like in Seton Hall, they were just really good from start to finish in this one. Here's another transition bucket. You don't even mention the name. Yeah, but like, you know, I've been. You know, I've been doing this for years now. I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I at least know how to talk around things if I need to. Um, you give this to somebody who's a little less experienced, it, it, oh, yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah, um, that's the seat, third highlight, Seton Hall. Go ahead and knock that name out. It's like, oh, no, you want to watch somebody. <laughs> it, it turns into very quickly, and Miles Powell gets it to the big guy. <laughs> you just you just stay away from it. So that's not the point. The point is this. He's out six to ten weeks with a fractured right wrist. So now Seton Hall might really have to play Maryland without his top two scores. Good luck with that, right? For sure. No, that's that's no small thing at all. And with that, they're just, you know, if if you would start if you would start the tournament if that happens you know Seton Hall wouldn't, wouldn't be in the tournament six and five uh, they wouldn't have the resume there they're gonna have to do a lot of uh, rebuilding in a in a good Big East okay my question for you is this before we get to the the reader review um, uh, the net comes out on Monday we'll see if that's worth talking about on the Wednesday podcast or not or hell if Loyola Marymount's number one maybe we fire up the emergency podcast or something like that we let's let's un, let's operate under the assumption Ohio State's going to win this game on the road against Minnesota so let's just I we would agree that if Ohio State wins it, we would both guess that Ohio State will be the number one team in the net right because that that would be my guess I, I I don't see any computer formula that could spit out anything other than Ohio State okay so right now uh, at Ken Palm it's Duke two Louisville three Kansas four Michigan State five Purdue six Gonzaga seven Kentucky eight Maryland nine Virginia ten we don't have to go top ten I just want to know what's your just out of curiosity because I'm I'm gonna do who do you think two just two and three Ohio State's one. Who's your guess on two in the net and three in the net? And remember, when this debuts, it's going to be about two and a half weeks later than last season when the initial rankings, while the top 20 had all eventual final four teams in in the top 20, including I think Tech and Virginia were like both in the top five or something like that. They go in at the national championship game. Anyway, uh, there's more data, so it should be more sensible of a ranking. Who would you say two? Who would you say three? Okay, and by the way, um, I'm, I always bang on the NCAA when given an opportunity. Let me give them credit. Um, all you can ever do is if you're in charge of something like this is, is listen, be smart, and, and then do the right thing next time. Um, the day they released it last week, what did we say? They released it too early. You, you cannot release it until it's sensible. You need more data. And so they waited two and a half weeks later this, this time, and it's, that's smarter. I'm, I imagine tomorrow will look a lot more sensible than, than the, the first rankings that were released last season. I would say Ohio State's one, Kansas two, Duke three, Gonzaga four, Mm. Baylor five. Okay. I'll go top five then two. I'm going to say Gonzaga's two. I'm going to say Duke is three, Ohio State obviously being one. Um, I'm going to say... Yeah, I'll say Kansas for Baylor's not a bad guess at all. I'm going to you, you know what? Hmm. Let me go. I can't decide between Butler and Dayton. Um Let me just see Dayton won, Dayton played on Saturday and they won Smashed. big. 
They've been good. See, they've been killing teams. You know what? Let me go wild card here because they've they've been killing teams, and their only loss is to a Kansas team that we both think will be top five. You've got Kansas two, Duke three, Zaga four, Baylor five. I'll go Zaga two, Duke three. KU4, and I will go off the board Dayton at 5 a little bit there. If Dayton, listen, we'll be fine with it. I will be I will be surprised personally if Dayton is not a top 10 team in the net when we get it debuting on Monday. I hope so, because um, I've had them, um, I think I've got them maybe number 6 or 7 right now in the top 25 and 1. I'm a believer. Like They're ones to me that really pass the eyeball test. If you watch them play, they look awesome, and they have been awesome. Uh, this season they don't have the big signature win but that's because of the schedule more than anything else they'll get it i i think they're going to win the atlantic 10 fairly comfortably they look like the best team uh to me all right let's get to the special podcast review shout out as you know um we have uh, dedicated the end of each sunday podcast to uh, shouting out somebody who leaves um, a five-star review and nice comment over at apple podcast and you guys have really picked up on that i've got a bunch to read through every week. I read every one of them, so we're not going to read them all on the air, but I do read every one of them, every word of every one, and thank you for leaving them if you've done it. Um, really, really nice. The one I picked this week, it comes from Lauren. She's a Lauren Low 1212 on iTunes, and here's what she wrote. She said, I've been a longtime listener and fan of the podcast and their banter. Recently took it to a new level with a dead deer and the attractiveness of OSU's uh, style of play. The podcast has been an extra lifesaver recently as I just had my second daughter, who's a Duke, future Duke fan, and I listen to the podcast when I'm up in the middle of the night nursing, hoping all the knowledge and inside takes lead her to be a strong college basketball fan like her sister, who has a solid Let's Go Duke chant and knows Gary's voice anytime I play it out loud. Great listen for the whole family. Don't miss out on it. That's from Lauren. Lauren Lowe, 1212. That was sweet, wasn't it? Love it. Shouts to you, Lauren. Um Going to have to get to know my voice, too, hopefully, as well. If not, you know, that's fine. Um, do appreciate that review sincerely, big time. And as a reminder, we will do reader question mailbag segment on Wednesday's episode. So go to Apple Podcasts, log a review, include a question, a curiosity, preferably about college basketball, but if you have something and funny or inquisitive that kind of skirts those edges by all means i'll also randomly i've had i've had like 20 people ask for an update on the deer situation i've just not <laughs> i haven't followed up on it on the podcast here uh the deer was taken i did not drag the deer um animal control was kind enough to come out and drag it you know 13 yards from the middle of my yard to the side of the road and then highway control I don't even know when it came, but it came and it took the it took the animal away and things have been better. And uh, yeah, so I, I got through the day uh, still occasionally worry uh, at night, wake up with some nightmares over what might be happening outside outside my house. But the deer thing has been long under control. And I apologize. People keep hitting me up wanting to follow like the uh, like like I decided to skin it myself and I've been cooking venison in my in my kitchen for the past week and a half. No, that has not been happening. Nothing like that would happen overall. But so that's that's the update. If there are any more uh, dead animal updates on either of our ends, rest assured this podcast will come through for you, but we both hope that's not the case. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Lauren. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rated favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And 
Uh, while you're doing that, uh, we'll get ready uh, to, to talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.